İnnel hamdelillah nehmeduhu ve nestaînuhu ve nestağfiruh ve na'udhu billahi min şururi enfusina ve seyyiati a'malina men yehdihillahu fela mudilla leh ve men yudlil fela hadiye leh ve eşhedü en la ilahe illallahu vahdehu la şerike leh ve eşhedü enne muhammeden abiduhu ve rasuluhu amma ba'd so carrying on from the chapter last week we had some sections of it left the chapter regarding tafsir at-tawhid wa shahadati an la ilaha illallah the explanation and clarification of what tawhid is and the testimony of la ilaha illallah that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. The first evidence that we had covered last time was the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ أَيُّهُمْ Those whom they call upon they seek to their Lord a means which of them will be closer and it continues that they hope for his mercy and they fear his punishment and this ayah was used to highlight that when the mushrikun call upon others besides Allah whether it be Prophets and messengers like Isa alayhi salam or other righteous people generally or upon the tafsir of some of the scholars, a group of the jinn who had become Muslim, that all of them, they themselves are seeking a means of closeness to Allah through worship and obedience. And that is the meaning of al-wasila, a means to closeness to Allah, the means for achieving closeness to Allah is through obedience and worship. And that is evidenced in many other parts of the Quran and the Sunnah also that the one who is obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he is closer and he is under the guardianship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like in the narration, God over the rights of Allah and Allah will guard over you. Allah will preserve you and many other ahadith making that point, the one who is upon obedience and worship, then that is the one who is gaining closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not as the mushrikun or the misguided ones claim that this ayah is a proof for the wasila of the dead people on calling upon the dead, seeking their intercession, seeking for them to take your dua to Allah. It is not an evidence 
for that, but it is an evidence for the wasila of a ta'a, of obedience and worship, and that is what brings a servant closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we had the ayah regarding Ibrahim alayhi salam when he mentioned to his father and his people that he is innocent of what they worship. He declares his innocence of what they worship. And they were worshipping various types of idols, various so-called deities besides Allah. They worship the stars and the sun and the moon and various other forms of statues and idols. So Ibrahim salam declared his innocence from their misguidance, from their shirk, from all of these other false deities that they were worshipping besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah tells us that Ibrahim salam said to them, Except, he made an exception for the one that he does worship, and that is the one who created me, he says. As a refutation and rebuke upon them, that all of these so-called deities they worship, None of them have any ability to create. None of them have any ability to hear, to speak. They have no power or ability in anything. And so they have not created anything. And so he rebuked them in this way, telling them that I only worship the one who created me. As opposed to the false deities that you worship who created nothing. And so by affirming the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he therefore proved and affirmed that Allah is deserving of al-uluhiyyah, whereas their so-called gods, the rububiyyah was non-existent in them. And therefore they are not deserving of al-uluhiyyah either. Because as we have mentioned many times before, the relationship between al-rububiyyah and al-uluhiyyah is what? Rububiyyah necessitates al-uluhiyyah. Al-rububiyyah necessitates al-uluhiyyah. If you have a rububiyyah, then that necessitates al-uluhiyyah. A rububiyyah, Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, gives life and death. If Allah does all of those actions, then he is the one deserving of worship. But their gods, their false gods could not do any of that. So they did not have any rububiyyah. And therefore there was no aspect of them or no uh, uh, concept of them being deserving of any worship so we covered that last time also then we get to the section where we were 
And that is the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions اتخذوا أحبارهم ورهبانهم أربابا من دون الله that they took their rabbis and monks as gods besides Allah. This particular ayah, it then carries on and mentions وَالْمَسِيحَ بْنَ مَرْيَمُ وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ Subhanahu amma yushrikun. That they took their rabbis and their monks as gods besides Allah. And Isa alayhi salam, they took him. And they were not commanded except to worship one God. Worship Allah alone. He alone who is deserving of worship. And he is free of all of that which they associate in partners alongside him. So it mentions in the ayah that they took their ahbar. Ahbaruhum. Or ittakhadu ahbarahum. And that is their rabbis. Jam'u habr. Or hibr. وَهُوَ الْعَالِمُ The meaning of حَبْر or حِبِر is the singular from الْأَحْبَار meaning somebody of knowledge. And amongst the Jews, then that is in reference to the rabbis. وَالْرُّهْبَانِ جَمْعُ رَاهِبٍ And as for the ruhban, the monks, that is the plural of rahib, and that means al-abid. The worshippers, because the monks are known to isolate themselves in their churches and areas that they are, and they worship in isolation. They worship and they do not engage in other worldly affairs. They were worshippers. So you have the rabbis and the monks that are being mentioned here, and they exist amongst the Jews and the Christians. فَالْيَهُودُ وَالنَّصَارَى اتَّخَذُوا أَحْبَارَهُمْ وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ So the Jews and the Christians, they took their rabbis and their monks as gods besides Allah. بِأَيِّ شَيْءٍ اتَّخَذُوهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِّن دُونِ اللَّهِ but how, in what regard did the Jews and the Christians take their monks and their rabbis as gods besides Allah? How and in what regard? That is explained in a hadith. فَسَّرَ ذَلِكَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ لِعَدِي بْنِ حَاتِمْ الطَّائِي the Prophet ﷺ explained that in a hadith to Adi ibn Hatim al-Ta'i. 
لما جاء إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقرأ عليه الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم when Adi ibn Hatim al-Ta'i came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he recited upon him this ayah, اتخذوا أحبارهم ورهبانهم أربابا من دون الله that they took their rabbis and monks as gods besides Allah. استشكلها عدي لأنه كان نصرانيا عدي ibn Hatim was or found some complication in this ayah that he couldn't understand because he used to be Christian. Adi ibn Hatim used to be Christian. So when the Prophet ﷺ recited this ayah that they took their, uh, they took their rabbis and monks as gods besides Allah, Adi ibn Hatim wasn't able to understand the meaning. How? He was somewhat confused by this because he didn't understand what they did in Christianity when he was Christian himself that constituted taking their monks or their rabbis as gods besides Allah. فَقَالَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ لَسْنَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ So he said to the messenger, O messenger of Allah, but we never used to worship them. Meaning how or what does this ayah mean that they took their rabbis and monks as gods? He said, but O Messenger, we never used to worship them. We never used to worship the monks. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ So the Prophet said to him, أَلَيْسُوا يُحَرِّمُونَ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهِ فَتُحَرِّمُونَهِ is it not the case that they used to declare things to be haram that Allah had declared to be halal? And so you used to take them as haram? Did they not used to declare things to be haram that Allah had declared as halal? And so you used to follow them in that and make them haram? قَالَ بَلَى Adi said, that's correct. That is true. Meaning the monks used to tell them things are haram that were actually declared as halal by Allah. And they used to follow their monks and make those things haram. قَالَ And is it not the case that on the other side of things, they used to make halal for you? That which Allah had declared as haram, and you used to therefore take it as halal, following your monks, instead of the rulings from Allah. Is it not the case, they used to declare halal for you, that which Allah had declared as haram upon you, and you used to follow them in that, and make it halal then? فَتَحِلُّونَهُ قَالَ بَلَى قَالَ فَتِلْكَ عِبَادَتُهُمْ Adi ibn Hatim said, yes, that is the case. They would tell us something is halal, that was actually haram, declared by Allah as haram, and we would follow them and do it as halal then. So the Prophet ﷺ said, فَتِلْكَ عِبَادَتُهُمْ 
So that is your worship of them. That is how you worship them. That is how you took them as gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah declared something halal, they declare it haram and you follow them in that. Allah declared something haram, they declare it halal and you follow them in that. That is your worshipping of them. That is your taking them as gods besides Allah. فَمَعْنَا So the meaning of اتَّخَذُوا أَحْبَارَهُمْ وَرُهْبَانَهُمْ أَرْبَابًا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ that they took their, their rabbis and monks as gods besides Allah. أَنَّهُمْ أَطَاعُوهُمْ فِي تَحْلِيلِ الْحَرَامِ وَتَحْرِيمِ الْحَلَالِ So the meaning of them taking their rabbis and monks as gods besides Allah is that they would obey them in declaring the haram to be halal and in declaring the Halal to be haram. فَدَلَّ هَذَا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مَنْ أَطَاعَ مَخْلُوقًا فِي تَحْلِيلِ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ أَوْ تَحْرِيمِ مَا أَحَلَّ اللَّهِ فَقَدِ اتَّخَذَهُ رَبًّا يَعْبُدُهُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَهَذَا مَا يُسَمِّيهِ الْعُلَمَ بِشِرْكِ الطَّاعَةِ so this therefore indicates that the one who obeys someone in creation in declaring items to be halal that Allah has actually declared as haram or declaring things to be haram that Allah has declared as halal. If you do that, you follow someone in that, then you have taken them as a god that you worship besides Allah. And this is what the scholars call the shirk of ta'ah, the shirk in obedience, the shirk in obedience. وَالشَّاهِدُ مِنَ الْآيَةِ لِلْبَابِ And the point of the ayah, in relation to the chapter that we are studying, and the chapter is to explain the meaning of Tawheed and La ilaha illallah. So how does this ayah explain the meaning of Tawheed and La ilaha illallah? Annaha dallat ala anna min ma'na La ilaha illallah. The ayah indicates that from the meanings of La ilaha illallah is Allah yuta'a illallah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa anna man ata'a ahadan man ata'a ahadan fi tahlili ma harrama Allah aw tahrimi ma ahalla Allah faqad ittakhadahu rabban min dunillah the ayah tells us that from the meaning of La ilaha illallah is that you cannot obey anyone besides Allah. And whoever obeys others in declaring halal what Allah declared haram, or declaring haram what Allah declared halal, then he has taken a God besides Allah. 
لكن but there is a point to be noted here إذا كان يعتقد أن تحليل الحرام وتحريم الحلال أمر جائز فهذا شرك أكبر يخرجه من الملة if the person believes that declaring something to be halal which is actually haram and declaring something to be haram that is actually halal is a permissible action if somebody believes it is a permissible thing to do it is a permissible action to engage in then that would be considered as major shirk a shirk al-akbar that exits a person from the fold of Islam because then you basically are saying Allah has declared something as haram in the Quran, in the Sunnah but we are going to declare it as halal Allah has declared it as halal, we're going to declare it as haram if you believe that is permissible and good and acceptable then that is major shirk. But as for a person who does not believe it's permissible to do that, but ends up doing it, not because he believes it's permissible, but ends up doing it, بل يعتقد أن التحليل والتحريم حق لله سبحانه وتعالى he believes and accepts and acknowledges that declaring what is to be halal and what is to be haram, that is the right of Allah. Somebody who accepts that, accepts it is the right of Allah. It is not our right to declare something halal or haram that Allah has declared the opposite. He knows it's not our right, but he ends up doing it anyway out of desires that he is following, out of his desires, his temptations, whatever it is, he is following, المصالح, or because he wants to achieve and acquire some worldly benefits or other benefits, that then would be deemed as a great Sin, it is a great sin that he allows something to be halal, which he knows is haram, and he knows he has no right to declare it as halal and allow it, but he does it. Or declare something haram, which he knows is halal, and he has no right to prevent it and declare it as haram, but he does it. Following his desires, not because he thinks it's permissible, he knows it's not. He knows that is the right of Allah, what is halal and haram, not his right. But he does it anyway, following his desires and his weakness and worldly benefits and goals, whatever the reasons may be, then in that case, what he has done is a great sin. But it is not like the first example of shirk. In the first example, the person believes it's okay, you can do it. We have the right to do that. That's major kufr, that's major shirk. But the other one, he knows it's not our right to do that, but does it out of weakness and desires. Then that's not shirk, but it's a serious sin. لَكِنَّهَا لَا تَصِلُ إِلَى حَدِّ الشِّرْكِ الْأَكْبَرِ 
فطاعت المخلوقين في تحليل الحرام وتحريم الحلال لا تجوز أبدا لكن فيها تفصيل من حيث الكفر والشرك وعدم ذلك So obeying the creation in declaring haram and halal uh, it is not permissible but there is a difference in the ruling that will be applied upon someone dependent on their aqidah and their belief in that regard if their belief is it's permissible acceptable we have the right then that is major shirk but if his belief is he knows it's not permissible it's not our right it's the right of allah but from desires he falls into it then that is a serious sin a great sin but not to the level of shirk and that's basically uh, coming into the topics of al-istihlal and then with all of the topics regarding the rulers when people they say but such and such a muslim ruler he allows uh, alcohol in his country it's legal to drink alcohol in certain places there are certain areas and certain types of venues where the ruler allows alcohol to be had it's legal you don't get punished for it in these venues and these areas so that muslim ruler is now a according to them Kafir, because he has made halal that which Allah made haram. But where does he fall into this explanation that we just mentioned from a Sheikh Al Fawzan? Has he declared that haram to be halal because he believes it is his haq to do so and that it is his right to do so and he can declare halal as haram and haram as halal? And it is not the right of Allah exclusively. Is that what he believes? Or is it because he knows it is the right of Allah, he knows it is haram, but he allows certain things to occur, allows certain affairs to occur within his country from the various other objectives and goals and desires that there may be, the economic benefits and the politics and all the types of things that occur on a worldwide basis between the countries and their dealings and their financial uh, relationships. Many different factors come into it. And due to those many varying different factors, you may see that there is some haram that is allowed in a Muslim country. It's legal, but we know it's haram. That does not mean that you can instantly therefore apply the ruling that this particular ruler is now kafir because he has declared such and such an act as halal in his country when we know the Quran and the Sunnah says it's haram. It does not mean that whatsoever and you cannot get to that conclusion like that. The only people who do are those who are affected by the ways of the khawarij, affected by their types of mentality and methodology and they have no understanding of the reality of these affairs of what istihlal is, what aqidah in these affairs is. They see something and that is it. Instantly the declaration is made. Instantly the declaration is made. He's made that halal in his country, kafir. He's declaring halal that which Allah made haram. And that is misguidance and that is 
from their misunderstanding of the religion due to their lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of these affairs of aqidah. فَالْحَاصِلُ مِنْ هَذَا كُلِّهِ So the conclusion that we understand from all of this أَنَّ الْآيَةَ الْكَرِيمَةَ دَلَّتْ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ مِنْ تَفْسِيرِ التَّوْحِيدِ وَشَهَادَةِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ أَنْ لَا يُطَاعَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَىٰ فِي الْحَلَالِ وَالْحَرَامِ وَأَنَّ مَنْ أَطَاعَ مَخْلُوقًا فِي التَّحْلِيلِ وَالتَّحْرِيمِ فَقَدِ اتَّخَذَهُ رَبًّا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ So the ayah highlights that only Allah has the right to declare halal and haram. And if you obey the creation in their declarations of halal and haram, in opposition to the declarations of Allah, then you are taking these others in creation as gods besides Allah. وَيَشْهَدُ لِهَذِهِ آيَاتِ أُخَرُ كَمَا ذَكَرَ اللَّهُ فِي سُورَةِ الْأَنْعَامِ لَمَّا ذَكَرَ أَنَّ الْمُشْرِكِينَ يَسْتَبِيحُونَ الْمَيْتَةِ مَعَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَهَا وَنَهَا عِبَادَهُ عَنْهَا An example of where this occurred or other ayat which mentioned the same point. One example is when the mushrikun they declared permissible to eat the animals that have not been uh, legitimately sacrificed. We know it is not permissible to eat an animal, cows or sheep or whatever it might be, unless they have been sacrificed upon the correct manner. The sacrifice has to be done on them if they've died in some other way, They've died in some other way, a a, a cow or a sheep went into the road, it was hit by a car, it died. Haram for you to take that sheep now and say, let's benefit and eat the meat. It died without being sacrificed. It must have been sacrificed, but the mushrikun, they declared it permissible to eat the animals that have not been sacrificed, the dead animals, the corpses, that are dead for other reasons, not through sacrifice. So Allah had made that haram, but they declared it as halal. وَأَخْبَرَ أَنَّ الْمُشْرِكِينَ سَيُجَادِلُونَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي ذَلِكَ ثُمَّ قَالَ وَإِنْ أَطَعْتُمُوهُمْ إِنَّكُمْ لَمُشْرِكُونَ إِنْ أَطَعْتُمُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ فِي اسْتِبَاحَةِ الْمَيْتَ إِنَّكُمْ لَمُشْرِكُونَ So then Allah tells us regarding that scenario that if you obey them in this declaration of theirs that animals which have not been sacrificed, they've died in other ways, are permissible to eat. If you follow them in that, then you will be mushrikun. You will then have taken them as gods besides Allah in declaring that to be halal when Allah has declared it to be haram. Is there any exception to that? Eating of the meta of the animal that has not been sacrificed. That's one example. If there was an extreme situation where there was necessity, you're in the jungle, You're walking around, you've been lost for weeks, you're about to die from starvation. 
And then all of a sudden you see a dead animal in the jungle, a dead rabbit, a dead something. Now, is it permissible for you to eat it or not? The actual animal has not been sacrificed, you find it dead. So that animal is haram. But your situation right now is that if you don't eat that animal, a greater problem occurs, a greater issue occurs, which is your death. So in that scenario, the necessity allows you to eat that animal. But this type of rule should not be used without understanding of it. People, they take rules, usul al-fiqh, various types of principles, and then they go implement them wherever they want. Without an understanding of how and where and what these rules are applied as, these are not just general rules you hear, uh, uh, uh, the necessity permits you to do that which is haram. Principle. Necessity permits you to do what would otherwise be haram. It would normally be haram for you to eat that animal in the, in the forest that you find. But necessity, which is the impeding death, you are about to die. To save your life, this is the only way you can do it. Necessity is proven and exists. And when that necessity is proven and exists, then it's permissible for you to eat that animal. Whereas if that necessity was not proven and it did not exist, you cannot establish your necessity in the first place, cannot be proven in the first place, then you can't use the principle to say, therefore such and such is permissible and such and such is permissible. The Ikhwanis and their likes, they use these principles to everything. Oh, in our society today, you can't grow your beards because of the way things are. It's a necessity we have to shave. It's a necessity we have to keep our trousers below our ankles. You can't walk around like this now these days. Necessity. Use principles completely out of place where those principles are not applicable and they don't work. So here, it is about the example of the meta, And that was one Example where it would be permissible. Another example? No? Animals of the sea. Uh, animals of the sea. Animals of the sea which live exclusively in the sea, then it's permissible to eat them without having to sacrifice them. If you go fishing, your net brings up a dead fish. It's already dead in the net. It was dead in the sea. You can eat it. It's not something that requires sacrifice. So there are some exceptions to these types of rules. But here, the mushrikun, they were declaring it as halal when Allah had declared it as haram. And so Allah said, if you follow them in that, then you will be upon shirk. What about uh, Ahlul Kitab? Ahlul Kitab, it's permissible to eat the meat of Ahlul Kitab, but that doesn't come into meta. Meta from Ahlul Kitab is meta, haram. It must be sacrificed also. They must sacrifice it also. <laughs> ikhtilaf what? If a Nasrani doesn't sacrifice it, kills you with a rock, where's the ikhtilaf? You can't eat it. No, if they have sacrificed it. But they not sacrifice in the name of Allah. Then you cannot eat it. A, a Christian or a Jew who does not sacrifice the meat. 
Sheikh, Sheikh. A Christian or a Jew who sacrifices the meat, then it's permissible to eat it. If they don't, it's not. If we don't know, that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother lecture. If we don't know, that's a different topic. But the principle, if they haven't sacrificed it, we know they haven't, then the animal is a mater. Then it's haram. If they have sacrificed it, then it's permissible. If we don't know, that's a big topic for another time. My neighbor boss bring uh, meat, mayo, and uh, give it uh, like a gift. There are Christians you can eat it. Can you? There are Christians or Jews you can eat it. We are talking about if you know they have not sacrificed it, then the animal is a mate. Then you cannot eat it. You see the guy in his back garden, your neighbor with the chicken throws a rock on its head, yeah. kills it. Then he brings it to your house. Now you know you cannot eat it. Because now it's meta. So we're just talking about the principles here. Even the Ahlul Kitab, it has to be upon sacrifice. That they've sacrificed it. If they haven't, then it's meta, just like this. So here then, فَهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَظِيمٌ جِدًّا وَهُوَ حُجَّةٌ Ah, where do we go? Ah. So this was uh, completing the section regarding obedience to others besides Allah in declaring halal that which is haram and haram that which is halal. If you do so, then in that case, you are taking gods besides Allah. In another example, أَمْ لَهُمْ شُرَكَاءُ شَرَعُوا لَهُمْ مِنَ الدِّينِ مَا لَمْ يَأْذَنْ بِهِ اللَّهِ Do they have partners who have legislated for them? into the religion, that which Allah has not permitted. They have legislated for them into the religion, i.e. they've made halal and haram. So they are declaring halal and declaring haram and worshipping them in that which Allah has not permitted any of it. Then all of that would be impermissible impermissible and haram for a person to engage in that type of following of the creation and if they were to do so then it is a form of shirk because they are then following that creation in declaration of affairs that only Allah has the right to declare and to legislate the next ayah وَقَوْلَهُ وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ And there are those from the people, they take others besides Allah as partners, and they love them as they love Allah. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ so there are some people, Allah says, meaning the mushrikun. There are some mushrikun. They take besides Allah andada, jam'unid, meaning partners. They take alongside Allah partners. And they love them as they love Allah. Yuhibbunahum kahubbillah. فَالْمُشْرِكُونَ اتَّخَذُوا مِنَ الْأَحْجَارِ وَالْأَحْجَارِ 
والأصنام شركاء لله سووهم بالله في المحبة يحبونهم كما يحبون الله عز وجل فالمراد هنا محبة العبادة فالمشركون يحبون أصنامهم كما يحبون الله عز وجل محبة عبادة وتذلل Mushrikun, some of the Mushrikun, they took partners alongside Allah. And they loved those others, their trees and stones and idols. They loved them as they love Allah. They equaled the level of love that they have for Allah to the same amount that they love these other deities, their false deities of theirs. And this is, of course, in reference to the love of worship. There are different types of love. And we'll get to those in the chapter later when it comes. But this is in reference to the love connected to ibadah. Connected to submission. So their submission, their love in submitting to these others was the same as it was for Allah. But then Allah tells us, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ but those who believe, the believers, they are greater in their love for Allah. This, scholars have mentioned, can be understood in two ways. That the believers are greater in their love for Allah than them, than the mushrikun. It can be understood in two ways. What could those two ways be? How are the believers greater in their love for Allah than the mushrikun? That they are actually greater than them. Like literally they are greater than the kuffar. Why? How? Because they, because they love Allah more. Allah raises them. They are greater than them. But how, how do we know? How, why and how do the believers love Allah more than the mushrikun? Because they sing online worship. Because the mushrikun... So you're right. The believers... They are greater in their love for Allah than the mushrikun because the believers, they single out all of their love purely for Allah, whereas the mushrikun split it into halves. So who's going to be greater in their love for Allah? The believers have a pure and sincere, complete love for Allah, whereas the mushrikun they have a partial love for Allah and a partial love for their other deities. So in that regard, the believers are greater in their love for Allah because the believers are pure in their love for Allah, whereas the mushrikun are not. They split, spread and split their love between Allah and these others. Another meaning of it could be... Allah, the, the believers love Allah more than the mushrikun love their... So the other meaning of it could be a comparison. The mushrikun, they love their other idols. But the level of love that the mushrikun have for their idols is nothing like the level of love the believers have for Allah. So no matter how much the mushrikun loved their other idols, their love is not comparable to the likes of what the believers have for Allah. So the believers are greater in their love for Allah than the mushrikun are even to their idols. And they loved their idols. They loved or they claimed they have love for their idols. But the believers were greater in their love for Allah. 
and the Mushrikun, their love for their idols, it was, it was not a sincere love like the believers have for Allah. And that's why Shaykh Al-Thaymeen mentions the example that when the Mushrikun, they used to go, wherever they used to go, wherever they were, they always wanted to have their idols with them, to have their gods with them. So sometimes when they used to go on a journey somewhere, they wanted to take one of their idols and statues, one of their gods with them. But if there was no statue or idol available to carry and take with them on the journey, then they would get dates, a lot of dates and squash them together, squash lots of dates together, and they say, this is our idol, this is our God. And then they would take that with them on their journey. But then, as Shaykh al mentioned, if on the journey things got tough, and they began running out of provisions, they would then have no choice but to eat their God. So they would eat their God. They would eat the dates from the idol that they had made, this God that they had made, things got tough, they would have to start eating their own God. So the believers are greater in their love for Allah than the disbelievers in their love for their idols. وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ لِلَّهِ فَالْمُشْرِكُونَ يُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ يُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ وَلَكِنَّ الْمُشْرِكِينَ يُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ وَيُحِبُّونَ مَعَهُ غَيْرَهُ أَمَّا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ فَيُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ وَحْدَهُ وَلَا يُشْرِكُونَ مَعَهُ غَيْرَهُ فِي الْمَحَبَّةِ فَلِذَلِكَ صَارَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ أَشَدَّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ لِأَنَّ مَحَبَّتَهُمْ خَالِصَةٌ وَمَحَبَّةُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ مُشْتَرِكَةٌ فَدَلَّتِ الْآيَةُ على أن المشركين يحبون الله ولكنهم لما أحبوا معه غيره صاروا مشركين وأن التوحيد لا يصح إلا بإخلاص المحبة لله سبحانه وتعالى. So the ayah indicates from the meaning of tawheed is that you single out your love for Allah, purity of love for Allah. And that is one of the meanings of La ilaha illallah. The love, al-mahabbah, pure and sincere love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not associated or shared with anything else besides Allah in terms of the love of ibadah, of worship, of submission. We're not talking about other forms of love like natural love that you have for your children or natural love you have for your parents. That is another form of love. But here the love of obedience and worship and submission, that this is pure and sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in this topic and later it's going to come in the actual chapter regarding love. The scholars, they mention the other types of love, like the natural love that a person has for another person. For example, a person becomes Muslim and his parents are not Muslim. But is that Muslim going to love his parents or not? 
of course, they are still his parents. They raised him, everything. So there is still going to be that emotional attachment to his parents. That is permissible. That is not impermissible. That is a natural love that a person has. It is not the love of ibadah. As long as he does not give his parents priority over obedience to Allah. If his parents start telling him, don't do this and don't do that. You don't need to do this to be a Muslim. Leave that off. And you start abandoning wajibat and obligations. Now it's going into the boundaries of being love outside of natural love. Natural love, they're your parents, even if they're kuffar. You obey them. You go do the chores. They tell you, go do the shopping. You go do it for them. Natural love for your parents. It's like one person, a student, he said to a Sheikh Ubaid that his mother, who's a non-Muslim, he said, when she rings me, he was a student in Medina, he said, when I ring back home and I speak to my mother and she's non-Muslim, when I speak to her and we talk on the phone, as all students do, ring home to your parents, family, I ring home, I talk to her, we talk about things and how's everything, etc. And at the end of the call, she always says to me, I love you, son. He said, Sheikh, am I allowed to say to her back, I love you too, mother. I love you. Because of these kinds of things, because of these evidences and ayat about loving others and loving mushrikun and having, uh, de- declaring your innocence from the mushrikun. He said, am I allowed to say to her, I love you. Because you're basically saying to a woman who is at the moment, at the time, she was a non-Muslim, a mushrika, kafira. Can you say to a a kafira or a non-Muslim that I love you? And the sheikh said, of course. In that circumstance, it is not the love of obedience or worship. It is the natural love. She's your mother. Even if she's a non-Muslim yet, she's your mother. You have a natural emotional attachment to her. That is all you are expressing. The natural love. That yes, I love you mother. The natural love, not the love of obedience or subservience. That is different. So we'll get to that anyway. There's a more specific chapter on those topics. Then the final uh, section in this chapter. وَفِي الصَّحِيحِ In Sahih Muslim. عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه قال من قال لا إله إلا الله وكفر بما يعبد من دون الله حرم ماله ودمه وحسابه على الله عز وجل The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said Whoever says La ilaha illallah. That there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And he disbelieves in all of that which is worshipped besides Allah. Meaning he disbelieves and rejects the worship of others besides Allah. وَكَفَرَ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ The meaning is وَكَفَرَ بِعِبَادَةِ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ that he rejects the worship of any others besides Allah. Then in that case, that person, who is now a person of Tawheed, then his wealth and his blood are impermissible now. And his accountability will be with Allah. 
So what do we have here? In order for the preservation of his wealth and blood to occur, the first thing that we need is an yantiqa bi kalimati la ilaha illallah that he utters the statement of la ilaha illallah. Secondly, that he rejects the worship of all others besides Allah. Then in that case, he is now upon tawheed because he's done what? Affirmation and negation. He has affirmed the worship to Allah alone and he has negated it from all others besides him. وَحِسَابُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ And his accountability will be upon Allah. فَإِنْ كَانَ صَادِقًا فِي قَوْلِ هَذِهِ الْكَلِمَةِ فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ مُسْلِمًا حَقًّا بَاطِنًا وَظَاهِرًا وَيَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ So if he was truthful and sincere in his testimony, then that person is a Muslim in reality, inwardly and outwardly, and he will enter paradise. وَإِنْ كَانَ قَالَهَا ظَاهِرًا فَقَدْ فَهُوَ مُنَافِقٌ And if he had only said it apparently, Without believing it inwardly, then he's a munafiq, a hypocrite. وَذَلِكَ يُحْقُنْ دَمُهُ وَيُحْرِمْ مَالُهُ وَلَكِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَ يَكُونُ فِي النَّارِ So that type of person who utters the statement of La ilaha illallah, his blood and his wealth are preserved. But uh, in the hereafter, in the hereafter, in the afterlife, he will be in the Hellfire, munafiq, inna al-munafiqeena fi al-darki al-asfali min al-nar. That indeed the munafiqoon will be in the lowest pits of the hellfire. Because just like paradise goes up in levels, the hellfire goes down in pits. So he will be in the lowest pits of the hellfire. So whomsoever states tawheed, utters the testimony upon his tongue, then his wealth and his blood are preserved. As for entry into paradise, then that will be dependent upon his sincerity and what was in his heart in regards to that. فَالْحَاصِلْ أَنَّ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ بَيَّنَ مَعْنَ التَّوْحِيدِ وَمَعْنَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّهُ أَنُّطْقُ بِالشَّهَادَةِ مَعَ الْكُفْرِ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَالْبَرَاءَةُ مِنْهُ أَمَّا لَوْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَهُوَ لَا يَكْفُرُ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ بِأَنْ كَانَ يَعْبُدُ الْقُبُورِ وَيَدْعُ الْأَوْلِيَاءِ وَلَا ضَيْحَا فَهَذَا لَمْ يَكْفُرْ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَا يَحْرُمُ دَمُهُ وَلَا يَحْرُمُ مَالُهُ لِأَنَّهُ لَمْ يَأْتِ بِالْأَمْرَيْنِ وَإِنَّمَا أَتَى بِأَمْرٍ وَاحِدٍ وَهُوَ قَوْلُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَكِنَّهُ لَمْ يَكْفُرْ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لِأَنَّهُ يَقُولُ إِنَّ عِبَادَةَ الْقُبُورِ لَيْسَتْ بِشِرْكِ فَهُوَ لَمْ يَكْفُرْ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ فَمَعْنَاهُ أَنَّهُ لَا يَحْقَنْ دَمُهُ وَلَا يَحْرُمُ مَالُهُ لِأَنَّهُ مَا دَامَ أَنَّهُ لَمْ يَكْفُرْ بِمَا يُعْبَدُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَمْ يَحْصُلْ الْمَقْصُودَ So a person must affirm and negate basically that you must have the affirmation in the Tawheed, in the statement that you are making, and you must declare your innocence and freedom from all of the shirk and that which is worshipped besides Allah. As for the one who says, La ilaha illallah, but does not negate the worship of others besides Allah, and still says it's okay to go to the graves and call upon the dead and call upon the shrines and the tombs, 
then he has not rejected the worship of others besides Allah. He's not done both things, affirmation and negation. He's done an affirmation, but he has not done the negation. So that would not be fulfilling the objective of Tawheed. لهذا يقول الشيخ رحمه الله لم يجعل النطق بلا إله إلا الله بل ولا كونه لا يدعو إلا الله بل ولا معرفة معنى هذه الكلمة لم يجعل كل هذه الأمور عاصمة للدم والماء Notice that a person who says لا إله إلا الله or that he doesn't call upon others besides Allah or that, uh, about knowing the meaning of the statement of La ilaha illallah, just knowing those affairs and saying those affairs, believing in the test or, or, or saying the testimony of La ilaha illallah, only calling upon Allah, knowing what the meaning of La ilaha illallah is, none of those are enough for your blood to be preserved or your wealth to be preserved and your blood to be preserved. None of those are enough by themselves. You have to have with that, with that understanding of La ilaha illallah and the meaning of it, and only calling upon Allah, with all of that, you have to have the negation of all of that which is worshipped besides Allah. فَالَّذِي يَقُولُ أَنَا مَا أُكَفِّرْ And then the shaykh goes into some details regarding the people who call upon others besides Allah and the ruling upon them. Uh, and in the Quran, Allah tells us, فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ إِسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْوُثْقَى Whomsoever disbelieves in the false deities, all of that which is worshipped besides Allah, and believes in Allah, then he is the one who has taken a firm handhold or grip upon the truth. So then, he says at the end, ثُمَّ قَالَ وَشَرْحُ هَذِهِ التَّرْجُمَةِ مَا بَعْدَهَا مِنَ الْأَبْوَابِ And the explanation of this particular chapter title and this particular topic of the explanation of La ilaha illallah and the explanation of Tawheed مَا بَعْدَهَا مِنَ الْأَبْوَابِ It is all going to come in all of the chapters that are now to follow. Because from this point in Kitab al-Tawheed now, it starts going into each section and topic one by one. So the very next topic we'll begin next time is going to be about wearing strings and necklaces and other types of bracelets where people believe this will keep away the harm from me and it will bring good to me. That is one action that is going to be spoken about next. What is the ruling on those things? Uh, what are the evidences regarding that and whether it is shirk or not and which type of shirk or not so that's what we'll begin with then from next session insha'Allah ta'ala we'll conclude upon that for today wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam any questions anything to add question says what is the difference between someone who is on the Salafi manhaj and someone who calls himself Salafi 
and attributes himself to a group called the Salafis. What is the difference between someone who is on the Salafi manhaj and someone who calls himself Salafi and attributes himself to a group called the Salafis? If I've understood the question, then one answer is that it doesn't necessitate there's any difference in one answer. Because somebody can be upon the Salafi manhaj and can call himself a Salafi. And there is no contradiction between the two parts of the question. A group called the Salafis, there is no group in terms of the groups that people think about. The group Salafis, it is not a group like the Tabligis or the Ikhwanis or the Kharijis where they all have certain people that they follow or they have certain ideas that they follow, only certain methodologies upon Qadr, upon uh, uh, rebellion against the rulers. Uh, the one who commits major sins, they follow certain points and beliefs, and all of their groups revolve around those things. Salafi, or a group that you think exists known as Salafis, then that is only an attribution to the manhaj of the Salaf. The Salaf are the ones that the Prophet ﷺ spoke about. Khayrun nasi. When the Prophet said the best of the people are the generation that I have been sent in, the companions, then those who come after them, then those who come after them. Those three generations, Al-Qurun, Al-Mufaddala, the best of the generations, they are known as the Salaf. So now when somebody says they are Salafi, if they are genuine and truthful in their statement, then they should be following the methodology and the practice of the Salaf. And they are the ones that the Prophet ﷺ said are the best of all of the people, all of the generations, because they were the companions, then the students of the companions, then their students. So if the Messenger has praised those generations, because they were the closest to him, and they learned from the source, from the revelation that the messenger got. They learned from the Prophet ﷺ. So if somebody calls himself a Salafi, and they are truthful and genuine in their statement, as Sheikh Bin Ba said, they are truthful and genuine in their statement, then they should be following the way of the Salaf, and they should be following the way of the Prophet ﷺ. So in that case, there would be no difference between somebody who is upon the Salafi manhaj, or they call themselves Salafi, or there's a group of people who are Salafis, then they are all upon that manhaj of the Salaf, and there's nothing wrong with that. And the scholars have highlighted, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and others have highlighted the permissibility of that. That is not a cult or a sect that is, uh, uh, uh, uh, has some type of ideology outside of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, that is simply an affirmation that you are following the manhaj of the Salaf. So there is no, a person shouldn't be thinking about a group known as the Salafis, like they think about the Ash'aris or the Maturidis or the Mu'tazili or the Jahmi. They were groups who deviated upon certain points of Aqeedah or other things, or they followed certain individuals and they went behind them and they were named after them. But the Salafis, 
then this is simply an attribution, an ascription to following the way of the Salaf, the manhaj of the Salaf, those whom the Prophet himself praised. How do you get back to this? When is it acceptable to throw someone off the Salafi manhaj? And what sort of evidence is needed? You see, this type of thing, throwing someone off the manhaj, refuting someone, uh, rebuking someone, it's not something the general folk are going to get into in any case. It's not something that within the communities now, suddenly some brother starts saying he's not part of the, he's not upon the Salafi manhaj anymore, and others are going to say he's not upon the Salafi manhaj anymore. You don't get involved in that type of speech and that type of talk if it is now talking about within the Salafi community. Sometimes there can be an error somebody makes. A Salafi may make an error, and you may highlight that this was an error that such and such a Salafi made, but that doesn't mean that the person is being thrown out of Salafiyyah. The scholars, they may speak about individuals that he's made this error or that error, and that doesn't mean that they are saying he's not Salafi, but that he made an error in this point, he made an error in this issue, but nothing to do with he's now not following the Salafi manhaj, he's not upon the Salafi way, so a person has to be careful with those types of things, especially amongst the people and the speech that is spread amongst the people and the exaggeration it goes to where Salafis, known Salafis in the community. We're not talking about where there's doubts or there's other people and they are following other ways. In the community, Salafis known for their Salafiyyah and not just a year or two, maybe five or 10 or 20 or 30, known for their Salafiyyah They've not done anything which exits them from the fold of Salafiyyah. Yet the speech that begins to spread amongst the people because of an error or a, a, a lapse and a statement that was made incorrectly, sabqo, lisan, as they say, sometimes you may say something accidentally. Accidentally, you don't realize it doesn't register sometimes. I remember one time somebody contacted me and they said, that in one of your lectures you were saying that whomsoever does the righteous actions X, Y, Z, it was a tafsir, tafsir class. Whoever does disobedience and that obedience and these righteous actions and those righteous actions will enter Jannah. Hellfire. hellfire. Accident. You don't realize because you're in that middle of that discussion, you know in your mind you're going to be giving the two examples. One example is about the righteous actions and paradise. One example is about the evil actions and hellfire. And in the middle of the lecture, without registering, it swaps. Like when you say sometimes a, a, a sentence and you say the words the wrong way around. When you say the words the wrong way around. I drove the car to the market, you say, I uh, uh, the, uh, uh, drove the market to the car or something. When you, when you say it accidentally the wrong way around. So it can happen. But these kinds of things, people have to realize the advice the scholars have been giving for years. Sheikh Rabia at the head of them in terms of the advice about brotherhood, about unity, about the, the love between Ahlul Sunnah and the Salafis. And it should not be the case that the splitting or the differing occurs 
between Salafis and Ahlul Sunnah over affairs that if you were to take them to the scholars, they would laugh in your face or they may even hit you across the face. Well, not across the face, but they would give you something. Affairs that are laughable. If you were to dare, if anybody was to dare to take some of these affairs to the scholars, then Allah Alam, what state they would come out of that room as. These are affairs that should not exist in terms of throwing people off the manhaj. If we're discussing, and the question doesn't say anything, but if we're discussing within Ahlul Sunnah, it's not that you go to these exaggerations, especially over issues that have nothing to do with manhaj. They have nothing to do with it at all. These days, you know, it's not hidden from anybody. The level, the level some people have taken all of this issue of COVID and vaccines to, as though if somebody takes a vaccine and there may be people here who've taken the vaccines, has that made them not Salafi now? Has that made them uh, into some other manhaj now for taking a vaccine? Some people here, I bet, I'm sure there are people here who have taken the vaccine. And so be it. If they've done that and they followed some of the scholars and they followed the advice of the health ministries of the Muslim countries and, and they've taken it, how has that affected the Salafiyah of somebody to the extent that people are arguing with each other and they don't want to speak to each other now? He's on this opinion. He believes uh, X, Y, and Z, and he believes X, Y, and Z. Over issues of worldly affairs, of issues of worldly affairs, people are going to argue to that level. It is not befitting and it is not suitable, and it is an indication of the lack of time we have spent with the scholars. Because you would not find this type of thing occurring between the scholars or occurring between their students. You would not find it. Argumentation over affairs where there is nothing to argue over. Argumentation over issues where there is nothing to argue over. You have that belief. You see, you've seen something. You've got evidence. And you think it's all perfectly legitimate and good. Your opinion, it's a worldly matter. You want to take it, you take it. As Sheikh Fawzan recently said, some brothers narrated... That if you take it, you take it. If you don't take it, then they aren't compelling you, then don't take it. And that's about the end of it. A two-second answer from the sheikh. That really summarizes everything. But the level that it goes to, and I've seen it, and I've heard it myself, between some of the brothers, between some of the people, that as though this is some type of manhaj issue now, aqidah issue, that uh, you have to have certain opinions, and you have to, how can you not believe this, and how can you believe that? And both sides... From this side and from that side, Ikhwan, these kinds of things are not suitable and this is not the way of the Talib al-Ilm. That you start falling into disagreements and even feelings against each other over some worldly matter, some worldly issue. And then you, you know, even if you try to connect it, no, but this and that, and it's not. So a person with these kinds of things, throwing someone out of manhaj, throwing something out, uh, someone out of salafiyyah, Everybody has to be very careful with these kinds of affairs and take from the etiquettes of the scholars, take from the mannerisms of the student of knowledge. The scholars, they teach topics, lectures, just on the mannerisms of the students of knowledge and the etiquettes of the students of knowledge. And Sheikh Rabia has been saying this for a long time now, for years. One of his main points, you go to all the conferences when he gives little telelinks and things, the key point he always mentions in all of them is about the brotherhood and the unity what are, are, you know, how, how much of the spread of Salafiyah exists in this country, in the UK, for example? It's not, you know, there's no point trying to kid ourselves regarding the reality of how much the da'wah has spread. 
You look at the, the Tablighis, for example, everywhere you go, I go somewhere sometimes abroad to different countries, everywhere you go, they have a huge mosque, wherever you go. Huge five-floor mosque here and there, everywhere, with such little numbers that we have, and the da'wah still in its infancy, 20 years, 25 years, it's not like Saudi Arabia or any of the Muslim countries, then it needs work and effort. And it requires that the brothers and the, the communities, they have that unity and love between each other, because loving for the sake of Allah is that you love a person because of the sunnah he's upon. And hating a person for the sake of Allah because of his opposition to the sunnah. Not because of his opposition to your opinion or because of his opposition to something you believe is correct and he doesn't believe it's correct on some matter, even on religious affairs. Even on religious affairs. When uh, uh, one of the scholars said, said to a Sheikh al-Bani regarding the issue of where you put your hands after you come out of ruku'ah. One of the scholars, uh, uh, uh, I don't want to say the name in case I get it wrong, but it was one of the scholars said to Sheikh al-Bani that this, it's bid'ah. Like uh, some, some of your opinions, this is the way of the mubtadi'ah. And that doesn't mean that he's declaring Sheikh al-Bani to be outside of the fold of uh, Ahlul Sunnah or that he has now committed bid'ah. But it was some harsh speech between them on certain affairs. And I've read other speech between some of the scholars, if you were to read it, you would think, what's going on here? But the reality is nothing is going on there. Between the scholars and what they have and statements that are made, they don't have the same kind of meaning as if you make them in the West. Here now, if brothers made those kinds of statements to each other, there would be war. But amongst the scholars, they may say, no, no, he's completely wrong, has no idea what he's talking about on this issue, and there is nothing but love between them. Next time you see them at the istiraha, and they are together. But it's something that everybody has to work on. This da'wah, one of the greatest means of giving it to the people is through our behavior, our morals, our manners, our etiquettes, with how we behave with other individuals, and not any type of uh, uh, harshness to a level or exaggeration on affairs that you have no ability to be speaking about or going into. It's not suitable. And what is suitable is that we love one another for the sake of Allah, to be upon unity for the sake of Allah, because of the sunnah that we are all upon, and that same methodology that we are practicing, and not to allow these foolish affairs, what other word can I use? Foolish worldly matters, to uh, allow differences and issues to occur between the people. And then when, <laughs> when somebody finds a statement, and I see these things, people forward these things and tell me these things, somebody finds a statement of one of the scholars, uh, uh, you know, regarding some worldly matter, and then they post it, they go, there you go. Like as though it's some, some big issue, and there you go, there's the evidence. As though he's done it now, he can sleep now, he hasn't been able to sleep for a week. <laughs> now he can sleep, there you go, look, Sheikh such and such said this. As though it's some aqidah issue, manhaj issue, we need to, going into some detail about, and then the next person, when he finally can't sleep for a week, and he finds something at last, there you go, what about this statement? And the level it's got to, I, I've seen some of the things which are, for me it's humorous when I see this, with some of the things that are being said and what's being done over these topics, which are topics that, they are worldly matters. And what, uh, these kinds of worldly matters, they are not new. It's not as if it's new, that the kuffar, they plan and they plot and this and that. It's not new. 
It has always been that in the Quran and the Sunnah, they are always going to do that. So you should not allow these kinds of affairs to cause any issues between each other, to cause any disputes between each other. A person has a certain opinion, so be it. Another one has another opinion on it, so be it. Some people, maybe they don't even research into these affairs. They don't even look into these affairs. Maybe some people, they are quite happy that all the Muslim governments have given certain advice. We'll follow it. Trusting those Muslim governments and they've not researched or looked into anything else. Could be the case. And so be it. That's his affair. Others, they want to put their time into various affairs and issues. So be it. That's their affair. And it's not something to differ and dispute over, to have arguments over, and to make it some type of walls and barriers and there you go. What about that? And there you go. As though it's become some type of big war that everybody has to win their position. It's ajib. And it should not become an issue and it should not become an affair of dispute between anybody. So we'll leave it upon that for today then. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll resume next week with those next chapters. Those chapters are very important now. Everyone every week will have the evidences for that specific section. They have to be memorized inshallah.